Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host, Sir Rob Wainwright, talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction towards commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest today is Deirdre Sampson, the former leader of the Social Democratic Labour Party in the Netherlands, who now serves as the Chief of Cabinet of Executive Vice President Frans Timmermans of the European Commission since November 2019. In this role, he has helped shape the European Green Deal. Rob and Deirdrick are here to talk about the Green Deal, the impact on business and the role of boards in setting the agenda towards more responsible business. Over to you, Rob. Fantastic. Thank you, Vaidehi. A warm welcome to you, Deirdrick. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about, I suppose, the topic du jour in the business world at the moment, sustainability and the challenges confronting all of us, of course, to play a part in building a better, greener world. Well, Diedrich, as we heard, you're at the heart of these concerted attempts by governments and industry in Europe to get this into the right shape, helping to lead the European Green Deal. You know, for the business, for the uh, interest of our listeners, let's start by orientating ourselves around what the Green Deal is seeking to achieve, Diedrich. Uh, well, in short, it's trying to save our ecosystem for future generations. Uh, it's that one plan uh, to get Europe on a track to a sustainable future. Um, and that plan um, obviously will take a, f- a few decades, uh, three to be exact, uh, to be completely finalized. But in the next five years, we need to get ourselves on an irrevocable pathway towards that dot on the horizon. And that's about climate change, it's about energy, but it's also about biodiversity. It's about our pollution. It's about our nature around us. Uh, It's really the first time that the European Commission uh, presented one comprehensive vision, one idea, one plan to save that one ecosystem that we have. And it's one plan which has all those facets, all those huge dimensions uh, and of course this huge ambition uh, for something that couldn't be more important to any of us in the world uh, it's it sounds such an ambitious such a challenging goal how do you even start Diedrich, in 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 you know turning that into what can be realizable actions on the ground um yeah that's indeed a pretty big challenge in 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 terms of policy making uh but even more obviously in terms of implementing those policies on the ground where it needs to happen in 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 factories in buildings in industries uh in our cars in our lives uh but starting off with the policy making um i sometimes compare it internally with the the challenge of making a 12 dimensional sudoku uh which is quite a challenge and actually humanly impossible as is mathematically proven uh but we have to we have to uh to solve that issue um and we will start off with dissecting i mean as i said it's a one comprehensive plan for one ecosystem and and we have to realize that in that ecosystem everything is connected with everything else as we now endure actually in this pandemic um so our plan is also a very interconnected uh project but obviously you have to dissect it into items into separate uh, work streams so to speak in terms of businesses uh, etc so what we're starting off with is our fit for 55 package uh, which will come uh, very soon uh, somewhere around summer in um, 
And that is fit for 55, as the name says, is to get Europe into shape to make a 55% cut in CO2 emissions by 2030. Is that target, um, Diedrich, is it... Is that consistent with, for example, what the new Biden administration is, is, is announcing with what we will be hearing at COP? Is, you know, where, where is Europe on this in terms of how ambitious our targets are compared to the rest of the world? Uh, yeah, first of all, this is not a, a race basically to win the target, but uh, it's a, a race to zero, so to speak, because climate neutrality in the end is obviously the goal and, and minus 55 is just a milestone. But comparing, if you could compare apples to oranges, because it's quite difficult and complex in terms of base years and etc. But obviously, we've done the math uh, and um, a 50 to 52 percent, as Biden promised, uh, is slightly less ambitious than the 55% compared to 1990 that Europe has endured. But even on top of that is the UK ambition, which is slightly more ambitious than the EU. Um, and, and to be honest, this is a race I would like to lose. Uh, so I would like other countries and other regions, other continents, to be slightly more ambitious than we are. And, and then we can take a contentious decision to... Uh, to even jump over that. Uh, but uh, at the moment, um, we are actually in an optimistic phase in terms of world politics uh, as far as climate is concerned because only one and a half year ago, we were pretty lonely. Uh, so when we presented the Green Deal in December 2019, there were some rolling eyes on the fact that Europe, 10% of worldwide emissions, was going on this sort of audacious pathway, saving the planet, well, you can't do that if the rest of the world doesn't join on this endeavor. And nobody was actually showing up. Uh, I mean, Trump was still in the White House. China, we hadn't heard about from China for a long time. Uh, India was completely silent on this. And look at where we are one and a half year on. And I wouldn't say it's due to the Green Deal because you sometimes have to be lucky too. I mean, uh, the fact that the administration in the White House changed is all thanks to the American population. Uh, but what, where we are now is that we have that Biden ambition. Uh, we have China now coming up for climate neutrality. We still have to have a conversation on the exact deadlines, etc. But okay, they're there on stage. India is moving. Japan has declared climate neutrality. South Korea, South Africa is joining the club. We are on a, in a completely different momentum um, which we haven't seen for a long time, which makes me very optimistic. Do you think that it's interesting you said it's, it's, it's all changed over the last year and a half? And of course, political changes in countries like the US really matter. But of course, that period also coincides with uh, the time the world has, has endured the effects of the pandemic. Uh, do you think that in any way has also shaped attitudes in governments, but also in, in, in business towards really tackling the big urgent crisis of the day? Yes, I did. I think it um, it was the last straw, uh, basically, because what we've seen even before the pandemic was a sort of a groundswell of uh, increased urgency uh, for climate um, within society as a whole. Um, and obviously, what I think make makes a huge difference is the, I could say, mind-boggling developments that we see in technology. Uh, again, there, if you, if you compare where we are right now with solar, with offshore wind, with electrical cars, compare that to only 10 years ago. And 10 years is in energy terms yesterday. Yeah? So, um, 
and and only 10 years ago an electrical car was quite a deplorable thing uh, with an uh, with an axi radius to, uh, until the garden gate and then uh, you were looking for a socket uh, to ch- to charge it again uh, as solar panels were usually ex- expensive and offshore wind was unaffordable and now we are in a time frame where offshore wind is matching fossil energy prices solar energy is even way below that at the moment uh, obviously on certain latitudes uh, not all not everywhere in scandinavia you can have profitable solar power but below madrid it's already competing uh, way uh, out competing the normal fossil fuels and electrical cars are are in an in a uh, there's there's a tsunami coming of new models uh, at prices that are affordable for more and more people and and that's quite a revolution so i think the the combination of increased urgency for the problem uh, and increased opportunity to solve that problem has has now they they now met each other and um, in the midst there are politicians that need to seize that opportunity and take that put that into action talk a little bit about the attitudes in business then then Diedrich. and first of all you know the, the way in which these packages like Fit for 55 and others um, help to shape that that business uh, uh, agenda. Um, you know, you talked earlier about you don't want to be in, in, in a race with the rest of the world. It'd be great if you could encourage the rest of the world to, to be more ambitious. But there is something about the way in which Europe does often um, become a global trendsetter in establishing regulatory norms and standards. And we've seen it in regard to big tech and data privacy, for example. So maybe your package here is also trying to set a trend as well, certainly to influence the business community in Europe. Is is, is that a fair characterization? Uh, yes, certainly. Yeah. Um, we've always been or tried to be at the forefront of, of these new developments. And, um, and Europe has led the way many times in history, and we should do that again. And, and we're still the biggest consumer market in the world. Uh, so we have something to say about setting standards. Um, and that's about more than climate. Eh? It's also about that, that other type, other pillar of sustainability, which is the circular economy. We need to change the way we produce, use, and throw away our products. Um, and that's across the board. So we hope to make a difference there uh, too. Um, but indeed, creating a business environment that uh, helps progress, that's what Europe is good at. Uh, and we sometimes failed utterly, by the way. But now we hope uh, we will be successful with that Fit for 55 package. Uh, creating new certainty in a pretty long uh, future. So uh, companies do know uh, by summer... Uh, what they're up to in terms of their investment needs in order to meet that that challenge. The emission trading system, which covers the big industries in Europe, is going to make a huge difference. I mean, at the moment, I'm looking at prices for CO2 of 47 euros per ton. And only a few years ago, that was five, a deplorable five euros per ton. 47, that changes a business case. Um, imagine if that goes to 80. Uh, that will make that will bring new production lines on stream that were are on just in the on paper right now, but they will become reality. 
How do you see the current attitudes? I mean, how much do you need this regulation to really almost force a change in business? Or is business already changing, do you think? How much? Because there's so many opportunities laden um, with the changes that are coming, of course. Is the business mindset already there? Or are you also trying to use regulation to just push them a bit more? It's a bit of both. eh? If you look at the dynamics between government regulation and companies and, and society as a third partner there, it is actually, you could compare it with a tango, which is a very complicated dance. And if it's, if it's performed perfectly, you can't even see who moves first. Uh, it's, it, but there is a, uh, at some points in the tango, the man moves first and at some points the partner, the woman moves first. And this is the same with here. Sometimes we see we have to push it actually, or you could almost say we have to ram it through their throats uh, at some points. Uh, but uh, on, in other developments, let's look at the electrical cars at the moment. Um, we were designing regulation, which is on the table, CO2 emission standards for cars, which have a minus 37% CO2 reductions in 2030. That's still current regulation. If you look at the announcement of the big OEMs, the big car company, uh, car maker companies, they way beyond that. They are at the moment announcing uh, new models or new production lines. And actually, some of their, them are announcing the funeral of the, in the internal combustion engine by 2030, which means zero emission cars. Um, that's a minus 100%. That's way beyond what we have as a regulation. So sometimes you see industry leaping forward. It's a bit of an erratic process. It's not a continuous line. It's jumping and holding still. Um, as I said, this is this complicated dance. And if you uh, introduce the third partner in that dance, which is society as a whole, it even gets more complicated. But um, uh, I'm... I'm so, so for you, I guess, Diedrich, and also for, you know, in terms of getting the balance of the Green Deal in the right, that, that balance between, you know, regulation that sort of can, inf- can be enforced enforcing certain standards, but also encouraging the right kind of response, you know, providing new opportunities for business as well. And I suppose um, over the lifetime of, of, as you say, the European Commission, the European Union, you know, regulating a lot of things that matter a lot in society, you know, one of the lessons is getting that balance right, I guess. Yes. Um, uh, to use another metaphor, it's, it's uh, like an elastic strap. Eh? You can stretch it as far as you can, uh, but you just you should not break it. Um, so sometimes we push regulation forward. And obviously, this building that I'm in right now, the Berlemont building in Brussels, gets stormed by industry lobby, arguing that we, we uh, regulate them out of business. And that, that will leave Europe uh, forever and never come back. Uh, but that has been uh, the case for, uh, uh, well, since, since Europe started regulating. Um, and the, the, the Gassamer approach, this, the fine balance is obviously to stretch the elastic strap as far as we can without breaking it. Um, and I can tell you the Fit for 55 package will do that again. So, yes, you will see add a so-called linear reduction factor and the, the, way, the, the, the speed at which we take CO2 allowances out of the market because, well, every year you have less room to emit CO2. That speed increases to amounts where companies will um, wake up and smell the coffee. And some of them will storm this building again and try to uh, dampen the ambition. Um, But I'm confident that there's more companies out there that actually 
look at it with a smile and think, okay, here's our opportunity. Let's go for it. And is, is that your message, you know, in terms of what the Green Deal should mean for business, should mean for the boards of companies, the CEOs? What does it boil down to, Diedrich? What, what lessons should they be taking in terms of what this means for them? Well, I think this is indeed, I hope uh, companies see this as, as a real opportunity. And I also hope that um, they are encouraged to take a leap in the dark at some times, because still we need that. We can't provide full certainty over, uh, about the future. We will never do that. Uh, I, I get a lot of phone calls from companies that say, okay, as long as you provide the certainty, we will do the investments. It is not completely like that. We will, we will provide regulatory frameworks, but still companies have to do investments that are like jumping into the dark. Um, because they do not know whether that, that will pay off. Um, and we can't all be uh, Elon Musk, uh, who did that, obviously, to the maximum uh, extent, uh, going into electrical cars uh, at sizes where everybody was rolling his eyes, obviously, and thought, without any regulatory certainty, without any regulatory environment, and still he did. Obviously, the financing environment in, uh, across the Atlantic is a bit different than in Europe. Um, but some of it might inspire also European companies to say, okay, let's go for it. Uh, and, and sometimes you're, you're wrong, and sometimes you're, you're right. That's, that's, I think, the whole um, gist of doing business. And, and it's also something about the spirit of innovation, right? I mean, I, I for every Elon Musk story, there are many others, of course, who are not as successful um, in displaying and running yeah. with the same spirit of enterprise. Nonetheless, as you say, the, the, the economic business model in the United States is very different to Europe and, and, the, and the extent to which we, we perhaps need a better uh, spirit, spirit of innovation, I suppose, in Europe is there as well. And that's part of, of I guess, what we're trying to encourage here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it's also what we said as a message when we presented the Green Deal one and a half year ago. We said, this is actually not an environmental plan. This is a growth strategy. This is an idea to, to provide new momentum to, let's face it, an aging continent. Uh, we are aging in many ways. We ourselves are aging, uh, but our, comp our industry is aging. Our buildings are aging. We need new momentum. We need innovation. We need that entrepreneurial spirit. And just before I went to Brussels, uh, taking up my life and devoting it to the Green Deal, I was working also in the private sector, also for venture capitalists looking for new opportunities. And you find them all over Europe. Um, and the, the, the good part of this story is you find actually more of it in Eastern Europe, which is counterintuitively, obviously. You find in sheds and garages in Warsaw, and Gdansk and Bratislava. You find young engineers working on, on magical things like perovskite solar, uh, trying to stabilize that mineral, which is the holy grail for the new generation of solar cells. And they're working on it somewhere in that dark uh, spot, or dark corners. And now we hope to provide that spirit, those people with new momentum. And, and listening to you, Diedrich, you sound positive, you sound energized by, you know, for example, those experiences in Eastern Europe that you're seeing. You know, you've been in politics for some time. Um, what, does this, what does this mean to you, the, the, the role that you have at the moment and, and the Green Deal? What, how, how do you feel the responsibility? Um, 
well, quite heavy. I've I've been working on a sustainable future all my adult life, and I do think this is. Uh, and obviously, politicians always tend to think that they live in a in a, a pivotal time frame. Um, uh, but this time, I think we are, as the other politicians all, all obviously have said. But again, I think we are at the moment where the opportunity meets the urgency, and this is the five-year time frame in which we can make it happen. Um, and put it the other way around: if we don't make it happen in the last in this in the coming five years. Uh, you could almost say don't bother because then we will be really late for the party. Um, humankind has always had that tendency to run into a wall and just before you crash into it, mankind f- invented something to jump over it. Um, that was already the case when uh, it was predicted that we would all starve to death just before inventing fertilizer and uh, Borlaug uh, invented that new corn uh, species. Uh, and and also uh, in, in some point in history, it was predicted that um, London would drown in horse shit because of the amount of, of carriages uh, going through the streets. And that was just before we invented the car. This time we make it really, really tense, obviously. Uh, and the, the wall is higher and the speed in, at which we approach it is incredible. But we might find a way uh, just in time to jump over it. We might. We might. And on that note, that's a positive note, Dietrich. I like the way that you phrase this. This just might be the moment um, when opportunity meets the urgency of the day. And if we see it in that spirit, then let's be positive about, about the way ahead. Dietrich, thank you so much for your time today. Fascinating to talk about the Green Deal. This is such an important topic. Well, the extraordinary impacts of the pandemic on society, not least in helping to shape a new era of responsible business, have also shaped a new, more urgent understanding of the need to tackle our great climate crisis. That challenge has been with us for some decades, but perhaps only now are we seeing any real collective sense of commitment across business to treat it as a top-order priority. But today it has become a first-issue question for institutional investors, for younger generation talent making career choices, and for the public at large. And all of these factors influence the business agenda. But that is also heavily swayed by the actions of government, especially in the form of new regulation. The European Commission has long since developed a reputation for coordinating major policy actions across Europe, and for setting a global trend in using regulation to influence profound shifts in business attitudes on the issues that matter most to citizens. Climate is no exception, and the Commission's ambitious European Green Deal package may turn out to be one of the most important it's ever formulated. On offer is the opportunity to ensure that all business right across the EU delivers a significant reduction in carbon emissions by 2030, and at stake is the future of our planet. Achieving those targets and even the goal of uniting a highly disparate business community is hugely challenging. Diederik Samson knows that, but has on his side deep experience in European politics, the administrative strength of the European institutions, and for now at least, a positive climate in business in which to operate. He and the Commission's Green Deal should go far. Let's all hope so. If nothing else, this is a call to arms for business leaders everywhere to do their bit in a bigger and bolder way than before 
to run a more responsible business and build a better world. Thank you for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune into our next episode. Please review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app or whatever popular podcast app you're using and find out more on Deloitte.nl. See you next time.